Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. We're taking you to Burundi in East Africa for today's Spirit in Action. We're visiting with Socrates. In French, that's pronounced Socrate. Socrates Imani Matabaro, founder of Voice of Hope Burundi. Socrates and the Voice of Hope team are doing some hard, hard work, as you can imagine, working with orphans and widows and handicapped people. But even more challenging has been the local blowback after they took under their care six gay men who had to flee for their lives from Uganda. And support for Voice of Hope Burundi has been hurt a bit because attitudes towards gays are only somewhat better in Burundi than in Uganda. The vast proportion of Socrates' work is with orphans, widows, and people in prison and doing the healing and teaching work of the Alternatives to Violence program, which is a part of the richness and depth of his work. Because Socrates is not fluent in English and because he and I both speak French fluently, I did the interview completely in French and had his side translated and dubbed by a friend of his there, and I translated and re-recorded my side of the conversation. So this interview actually took place about a month ago, and among other things, Socrates has had malaria and typhoid sense, which I know is hard from the times that I've had each of those diseases. Anyway, you'll only hear Socrates' voice for a few words at the beginning and end of the interview, and otherwise you'll be hearing his friend. Please send out your prayers and support for Socrates' healing and for the work he and his team are doing as we now go to Burundi for a visit with Socrates Imani Matabaro of Voice of Hope, Burundi. Socrates, bienvenue au Spirit in Action. Merci beaucoup, cher ami. Socrates, welcome to Spirit in Action. Thanks a lot, dear friend. It's good to have you here on Spirit in Action to talk about Voice of Hope Burundi. I need you to give a lot of detail about your work there in Burundi because my listeners in the U.S. are not going to be familiar with a lot about life there. First of all, let's start out with your life before you founded Voice of Hope. You were born in the DRC, Congo, Please explain the relationship between the Congo and Burundi, and also with Rwanda. For a bit of explanation, Congo is situated in the eastern part of Africa, so we have nine bordering countries, but the most neighboring countries are three, which are Burundi and Rwanda. We now have the same community, which is CP, CPGL, which is in French is CPGL, Economic Community for Countries of the Great Lakes. In these countries, we have a lot in common. We have one document in common that allows us to circulate or to live freely in one of these countries, which are Burundi, Rwanda, and Congo. The community is called Sepejel. This document allows someone to live in Burundi for a duration of one year, in Rwanda, and in Congo also. So, I was born in a family of Christian Quaker. For me, I am an evangelist Quaker. Since you were born in the Congo, can you and others easily go back and forth between Burundi, the Congo, and other countries? Yes, yes. In fact, to come here in Burundi, we pass through Rwanda. There is a pathway in, in the hills, but it's not safe. It seems to me that there are a lot of Quakers in the Congo and in Rwanda. Are there also a lot of Quakers in Burundi? 
Yes, here in Burundi there are many Quaker, actually. They have two conferences annually, Southern Conference and Northern Conference. Southern Conference is located here in Bujumbura, and the Northern Conference is in Kibimba, in Gitega. Gitega is the uh, political capital of Burundi. It's where you find the Second Conference. There are so many Quakers here. In fact, the annual conference of Congo was founded here in Burundi. It's Burundi that gave birth to the annual conference of Friends of Congo. Almost everyone in the U.S. is going to know that there was the massive genocide in Rwanda back in 1994, and they could likely know that it affected Burundi as well. But they likely will know very little about the role of the Congo in these events. Could you share a little of the history of that time and the events there? Yes, the genocide that took place in Rwanda in 1994, it is a genocide that was happening between the same tribe in Rwanda. There is Hutan Tusi. So Hutus were, were the ones in power. That means that Hutus were killing Tutsi. After a long period of genocide, the Tutsi Rwandese fled the country and they were received in Congo as refugees. Unfortunately, after being received as refugees, most of them went to rural areas and became militias, rebels. After some years, they were multiplied and became rebels that ended up threatening Congolese in their own countries because they have never left the country, which is Congo, since then. So Kagame's regime tries to encourage political refugees to go back home to Rwanda, but they are afraid because each and every time they go back home, they are killed in a way or the other. So I can say that after 1994, after the genocide, many Rwandese, many Tutsis went to Congo. We actually call them in Nerahamne. They are in bushes in Congo, in the rural areas. They keep harassing Congolese in their own country. That's the situation in the Congo, right around where you were born, right? Yes. I experienced that when I was still a kid. But there was a time we saw many refugees in Congo. They were saying that they were Rwandese. They were fleeing the genocide. We lived together. We welcomed them. We fed them. We clothed them. We gave them well to sleep. But at some time, they became rebels. That means that you, being 30, were born almost in the middle of much of the immense disturbance and crisis of the genocide there. Does that mean you were born and grew up with all these troubles right there in your neighborhood? Yes. Since my birth, I experienced two major wars. Even if we live in wars on the region, in 1996, there was a liberation war of Kabira, the father, former president, the third president of DRC, of Congo. I experienced that because we left as refugees for a long period of time. This was the first war. And in 2004 or 2007, there was the war of Ntebuzi, a Rwandese rebel also. He came and occupied the southern province of Kivu and also the northern. They named Goma as capital city at that time. It was called RCD which is Change Republic of Congo. I think something like that. So I can say I grew up during a period of war, and I can say that I know how the war is bad. And what part did the Quakers there play in these events? The Quaker in Congo, at that time, it was not yet a big conference. 
It was at the time of its foundation. So Quakers were not in the whole country, which is Congo, just in some parts of Congo. They didn't play a huge role, except I think it's except I think it's around 2010, where there was a Quaker organization in Congo. So they started training people about peace and nonviolence. And it's during that period that the Congolese Quakers started also to go to the field educating people on how to live without violence, like they do around the world. Did the Quakers of Burundi, the Congo, and of Rwanda, did they work together in dealing with the fallout of the genocide in 1994? Did they work together in caring for those hurt afterwards, including the orphans, the widows, for all the people who were hurt by the genocide? Yes, I can say that because I know two organizations of cookers that operated in Congo and helped people to heal from trauma. There is AVP, which means Alternative Violence Project. I don't know if you, you, heard, about, uh, you heard about that before. This organization operated in Congo a lot in helping people to heal from trauma. There is also another organization, CAP, which is Cape Body Actor for Peace. They have also worked in Congo, but after a certain period of time, they're no longer active in Congo. At that time, they were educating and training people to live without violence. They were training people through seminars with Quakers. I was also a beneficiary of those trainings because I was trained to be an educator. I was trained to train others with AVP. Those are two major Quaker organizations that work on nonviolence here in Congo. How old were you when you took the AVP, the Alternatives to Violence Program training? I was trained by AVP. It was 2010, 2011. Yes, two times, beginning from 2009, 2010, and 2011. Could you describe the kind of training you underwent, be it for AVP or the other specifics, to prepare yourself for your current work? AVP, it's a quicker organization that operates worldwide to heal people from trauma, but also educate people on how to live without violence. So for me, when I was trained by AVP, it was in a way of training on how to use methods without violence in order to try help other people. It's at that time that my country was a very violent country. There was regular violence. There is massacre here, killings there. So people had to live without violence. It's during that time where AVP came and trained many people. We trained people to go train other people. I have a lot of trainings that made me become an educator and started training others. AVP had to train and educate people about nonviolence because people were violent. I can say this should be a habit that should take place in our hearts. We have also to try and share this with others. So in order that the message to get to them, we had to reach them, invite them, educate them about nonviolence using Gandhi's methods and others. This is what we were doing. Could you share with us a couple of stories from your work, how that happens, how you care for and deal with those traumatized by the violence? With the nonviolence, I learned a lot with AVP, but also there was another organization which is not quicker that came. If I consider other like me, I believe that I can help him to mitigate the violence 
that is in him. But I not I notice that I'm the strongest. That what starts the non-violence because we find out that we violent when we think that my rights are not respected, my freedom is not respected. So in order to respect my freedom and recognize again my right, I will have to do it by force. This is the beginning of violence. So we are teaching others humility because what I learned by non-violence, they told me that the first non-violent person that has existed is Jesus Christ. So he's a non-violent because he was very simple and humble. He liked everyone. It's very difficult to have method of violence towards someone who is humble, who doesn't show others that he's above everyone or above you. I believe that balance of force that creates violence. I believe I'm not respected and the other one either. And then I have to make him respect. I will have to use violence. Did you work with those who had been victims of the violence? Or maybe did you work with the perpetrators of the violence? Could you share some of those stories? I know so many people who were violent. Let me start with my journey in Congo. Many people in Congo suffer from violence. So a violence that is at many levels. There is violence caused by life. The Congo is a rich country in minerals and soil but very poor in real life because there are two classes for rich people which is above the poor class. The difference between poor and rich creates violence in some people. It's not easy to tell someone who has nothing to put on the table and stay without eating for three days when there is someone else who is throwing the food in the garbage. Three days without eating and another one gets even food to throw in the garbage, you can see that big difference. My journey with AVP, I started, first of all, educating people about living without violence in the prisons because I realized that many people in prisons are there unjustly. It happens in my country. I am more powerful than you. I put you in jail, whether you are right or not. I don't care. When I have money, rich, I have the power, so I can put pressure on the power. In that case, the power doesn't control me. The power I have is everything for me. After receiving so many trainings with AVP, then I said, let me start by visiting prisons. At that time, I had my badge, and that shows that I am an agent that works with a nonviolence organization. Inside the prison, I met people and I let them tell their stories. Sometimes we could hear some horrible stories. For example, I still recall some of the stories. When I think of them, I say to myself, this is complicated. I met a boy aged 22 years old in prison when I was working with AVP. I went for my first time. I spoke to one group. I understood that him was not interested. I came back for the second and third time. I asked him, why don't you want to, talk to, to speak to others? He replied, no, no, my life is very complicated, so I prefer not to share that with anybody. I said, no, feel free. I'm not going to judge you. He said, no, if you want me to talk about me, buy me first something to eat. 
and then I'm going to talk about me. I said, I'm going to find you something to eat. On that day, I didn't have any cash on me. And I went, I talked to other members of the group, and I told them what the boy told me. And they said, it's okay, no problem. We arranged a special appointment with, with him. When we went to see him, I didn't go alone. I, I went with other two members of my team. We went there, and what the boy told us, the boy told us that he comes from a polygamous family. His father was polygamous. Then the fact that his father was polygamous, he was not spending the night in one house. He could visit all the houses of all his wives. The day his father died, he had spent the night in the other wife's house. He read that woman the secrets regarding his belonging and wealth, everything he had. He died like that. In the morning, they, they said, your father has died. Then the people from the village said, now that the father has died, the wife from, from the house in which he died has something to tell us. The wife said, no, no, I have nothing to say. He left nothing. He didn't say anything. That's it. And the boy found himself. He was at, at university. He had a soft life. He lost everything. His mom knew nothing. No one knows anything. All the wealth of the family had been given to the woman that his father spent his last night with. They went in court and started putting pressure to see if there is any kind of means that can be used to that woman to see if what the father left and told the woman can be shared among all of them. But unfortunately, the woman said, No, no, my husband died in my house and I'm aware that he had other women or wives. But frankly speaking, he told me nothing. After some few days, the house in which the boy we met in prison, they were living in with family. Someone came and told them this house has been sold. They asked who sold the house. We don't know who sold the house. We, we just bought the house. The woman did her best so that the house could be bought by a powerful man, someone who has a lot of money, so that there is no way you can take him to court. During that time, the boy had nowhere to go. The house has been sold. They have now been thrown out of the house, him and his mom. This is now the debut of his violence. It was not violent, but the violence started to be created in him based on the situation that will continue us. There is this kind of situation. Tomorrow, there is another one. He found himself in the streets with her mother, too. There was nothing to do about it. I'm in the street now. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what to do now. It's at that moment that the idea of becoming violent with the father's wife was born. To go and harm the father's wife. One day he went and found the father's wife at the market. And he asked her, Why did you sell the house of our father? Everything that our father left you was not enough for you. You had a wicked heart to sell even the house in which we were living, my mom, my three other siblings, and I. The woman replied, I don't care about all that. I didn't do that. The fact that there was a bad answer because he thought he would get an answer that would comfort him. And then he thought to himself, now it's time I finish once for all with this woman. He threw himself onto the woman tried to revenge because of the anger. In that process, he harmed the woman till death. 
The fact that the woman was dead because he brutally thrown punches, the government said, we don't know your problem. You just killed someone, you will have to go to jail. Briefly, that's how Gilles, his name is Gilles, that's how Gilles found himself in prison. So when we met him in the prison, he told us that he had already spent four years in prison and he had never appealed in court since for close examination. It was horrible. So now that it was horrible, so that was the reason why he didn't want to speak in the first place. There's such violence that is growing each and every day in him. He thought revenging was the best way to get solution, but unfortunately, then revenging things didn't turn on his favor. What could you actually do with him or with other people who took part in such violence? How could you remove the hate and fear? In the USA, we have no real idea of what to do about that. All we seem to do here is to lock them up, sometimes for many years or all their lives, and maybe they eventually get released with no improvement in their condition. What changes are brought about by AVP and the other work you do there? With AVP, the first thing we do we, was to restore his conscience and play him know that he reacted so bad to the situation so that he would be conscious about what he did. Because from my understanding, I think if there is no conscience, we can't recognize or admit the mistake. We have first to have the conscience to know that we made a mistake and say, I did wrong. And when you did wrong, you have to admit the mistake and go to the next step of the life. What we did for Jules wasn't just giving him a moral lesson of telling him you did wrong. No, no. What we do as AVP is listening without judging. I can listen the whole story of your life, but I don't judge you. And I listen and listen, and I try to bring solution using your own words. Because when I come to do therapy with someone, and I am the one imposing what he should, he should or shouldn't do, no, no, it's no longer therapy. I'm forcing you to be me. I can even drive you of being violent. With Gilles, we started by listening to him, and we said it was a funny story, but you have to recognize that you made a mistake. The best way in life to revenge is forgiving. The most noble vengeance is forgiveness. When you ask for forgiveness to someone and you didn't want to revenge, you show the respect you have for other person. But when you use revenge, you might say you have reason, but after using revenge, you are wrong. What we did as agents of AVP, we listened to him without judging. After that, we passed to the next step by taking steps of helping him so that he can appeal in court and be sentenced. Because normally, even in my country, is unfair, but something that has been premeditatedly done and something else that has been unpremeditatedly done, the sentences are not the same. For example, you are driving some passengers and you find yourself in an accident and you, you kill 40 people on the spot. In that case, you, you didn't premeditate on killing them. Another example, I'm going to give an example which is very relevant in my country. The armed robber is someone, someone who thinks about going to steal someone with a arm. It means you have to think about all the methods that are going to bring him or to let him know how to break in the house. After that, they will learn 
how to break windows and get in. You understand that someone who has took his time to think about it. I'm going to do this and that so that I achieve my goal. For example, murder. But when someone didn't think about all that, I can call it self-defense. Someone wants to kill me and it turns out that I am the one who, who kills him first. This is a self-defense, but punishable by the law. The other way we helped Jules was to let him know and be conscious of what he did that was bad. The other way to help him was to put him in contact with the court so that the court could reduce his sentence. Normally, we have helped them for pleading. Pleading is accepting or denying that I have or have not done this or that. You certainly saw firsthand many examples of the violence, but somehow that led you to your work with Voice of Hope Burundi. We want to hear a lot more about that, but first I want to remind all of you that you're listening to Spirit in Action, and I'm speaking with Socrates Imani Matabaro. Actually, he would say Socrat Imani Matabaro. He's currently in Bushumbura, Burundi, country also bordering Rwanda and the DRC Congo. Socrates has been doing work emerging out of his work and experience with the Alternatives to Violence Training Program, AVP, and currently with Voice of Hope, Burundi. I'll have links to these on the northernspiritradio.org website. That is links to Voice of Hope and to the Alternatives for Violence program, so you can follow up with them if you're interested. I do hope that you will be supporting the work of Voice of Hope Burundi, as we'll be getting into the specifics of their work shortly. But do come via northernspiritradio.org and post a comment when you come to our site because we want to connect with you and we want to heal the world together. You can help us by making a donation on the northernspiritradio.org website. Now, back to you, Socrates. And I do want to hear about the specific work that you're doing with Voice of Hope Burundi. What are you doing that's different or in addition to the work of other organizations there in Burundi? It's a good question. I must try to explain the, the history of Voice of Hope. At the beginning and now, when I said it, that I am the son of Pastor Matabaro David. He's the superintendent of courtly advice of Friends of Congo. He's also the national evangelist of Quakos of Congo. That's the family I'm coming from. We are a family of seven children. I'm the first son born. There is a girl before me, and then it's me. I was a choir leader, I sing. At the young age, I was a leader of the choir, and I was playing instruments in the, the Quakers Church. The choir that I was leading made the, the friends of Congo, quarterly advice of friends of Bukavu to integrate me in the council of the, the wives of friends of Bukavu. While I was young, I started working for Quakers of Congo at the age of 17. I occupied three positions in education, in the quarterly advice of Bukavu, then General Secretary of Young Quakers of Congo, and the last position that I occupied is Development Office Coordinator in Friends of Congo Community. The three positions I occupied for Quakers very recently, like Development Office Coordinator, helped me a lot to work for the community. Voice of Hope started in Congo as a single group where we could 
play guitar, earn some money, and then visit people in prison. Visit elderly people and help orphans. That's what was our goal. Play music. If people give us money, we give it away, helping people in need. Until 2016, when I received my national certificate in Congo, I decided to come to Burundi to pursue my university studies. When I left Congo, I came to Bujumbura with my vision. Here in Bujumbura, I tried to gather people together so that we can continue my vision. At that time, my family is poor. They couldn't allow me to go to college. By the grace of many friends, quicker friends worldwide, I finished my university studies. They helped me a lot, and I am grateful. I discussed with them about my vision. I had in Bukavu, sometimes I was sharing with them some of my videos, and they said, yes, we can encourage you in that. Therefore, in 2017, a friend from UK, Nikki Tishnell, sent us some amount of money to buy a guitar. That's when the Voice of Hope started to operate here in Bujumbura, a singer's group. We started using those two guitars, but I told people I am the visionary. My vision is that I'd like that we could start operating and collect some funds from our talents in order to help people. Burundi and Kanga are poor countries. That's when we have to agree. In more than 189 countries in the world, I believe Burundi comes at 185 among poor countries. So we would utilize our talents to heal the broken hearts. In 2017, we started operating with Voice of Hope as a single group. What we could earn after singing, we could go visit in prisons, at the orphanage, widows, and also elder people. Because here, there are no organizations that take care of elder people. So we said, let's do it. In 2018, Voice of Hope as a single group made a big impact in Burundi. People came to us and told us, why can't you look for documents and make Voice of Hope a non-profit organization so that you could get partners, financial backers, and from there, you could continue your work? We said, it's a good idea. In 2018, we made our first assembly where we discussed about our status, our goals, the notion, vision. We decided to start looking how we can be recognized country-widely in Burundi. That costed us a lot in terms of money, time, but by the grace of God, we ended up having the national document. Now we have a national document that allows us to work here in Burundi legally. Our goal first is to give a chance to the orphans to live a normal life even after the loss of their parents. Help to have a level of life that can allow them to provide for themselves and access primary needs and also promote young people because we have understood that the majority of young Africans are not stable in their home countries because they don't have access to decisions that are taken in the country for management and their protection. They are used in mass demonstration, protests, and so on. You'll find that politicians use other children when he is out in Europe, living good life and studying. He will incite young people to go to streets and be violent, and that most of the time they could be hurt, killed, or arrested. The politicians will not participate, or even their family members. We have educated the young people and show them the danger of following these bad leaders and put the end on it.
Our goal is focusing on helping orphans here in Burundi. Here we have 42% of street children. We said we have to work on that and also help widowed women. We realize that many Burundian and Congolese women live depending on their husband. They don't work and when their husband are not normal, the whole family will start to suffer. Young girls will start prostitution, young boys will go to streets, they will become thieves, they will also be used in some illegal work and also hard work when they are still young. We had some people who helped others, but most of the contributions and donations are locally. We tried to look for locally donations to see if we can continue our vision. But after quite some time, we came to conclusion that the work is becoming more and more bigger. Voice of Hope started to grow. Since 2019, we set up support for often for studies. Until now, we're still working on the same project. We are trying to look for funds to take care of around 50 orphans for elementary and high school studies. We help also 25 women who are working using small loans. We give them so that they can start small businesses that can help them to survive. And we do some activities with young people to help them stay at home. I always feel so bad each time I'm on the internet watching TV and see young people who have drowned in ocean trying to run away from Africa to go look for green pasture in Europe. I feel sad and I understand that they are running away because there are no means to make them live a better life in their home countries. If all of us Africans, we decide to run away from Africa, so who will develop Africa? When we run away from Africa, we are taking the labor to Europe and our countries continue to dive into poverty. There is so much work to be done there. I'm going to read the mission and vision statement for Voice of Hope Burundi, which I found on your website. It says, Live in a Burundian community where orphan children live a normal life, even after the death of their parents, like other children, despite their social status, orphans, vulnerable children living with disabilities, etc., and are not subjected to forced housework or other forms of violence. A Burundian community where vulnerable widowed women are not victims of several forms of violence or discrimination in society, and young people are able to be useful for themselves and for their society. And then there's the vision also from your website. To see an orphan child from Burundi become able to have access to education, health care when needed, good nutrition and assistance when needed, belong to a family, whatever its nature families of foster or adoptive, because the street does not have children and it is not a place where a child should grow up and be educated, which is a nursery for the future of a nation, and see vulnerable widowed women and young adults participate to the management and construction of a new Burundi without discrimination or all forms of violence as agents of change and not spectators." That is a lot of people, and that's a lot of work. Why aren't you totally exhausted? You really must be worn out with all this suffering and work looking you in the face. Sometimes I feel exhausted because there are a lot 
a lot to do outside there but we are very limited it means recently we received seven young people who are homosexual and they were coming from uganda they fled because they feared to be killed there they narrated some stories and we felt so heartbroken the fact that uganda doesn't doesn't want to see or accept homosexuals it was a bit horrible we received them but frankly speaking we, we had nothing in terms of means to help them survive among us but because we are called to do good we feel good when we we do it we received them and now they stay with us unfortunately our community is not welcoming towards homosexual people they try to put pressure on them by telling us you are pure christian how can you receive such people you are lost it's complicated even my father was not okay with that he told me no no my son you have lost your mind and i told him no father i'm doing it out of love i told him the story of the good samaritan the fact that homosexuals are not accepted in our community but you pastors who were supposed to show them your love you are isolating them or chasing them away so who will receive them i had a lot of issues when i received them in our organization because of others and until now we still have difficulties in terms of feeding them clothing them paying their rent but fortunately there is a certain guy who has some friends abroad in the US that is there send some little amount of cash that is helping to feed them locally we have no donation no, no contribution no one does understand what we do they say we're doing to get money and we say no no we are doing it to help them that's why we giving our money and time so you ask me why am i not exhausted i can say it's, it's something i do with all my heart i know that where i am today is just that many people helped me supported me if god allows me to help me others why can't i do it when i realize that there is the love of god in me god himself is love we recognize god through his love why can't we love our brothers and sisters whatever i can get to help my fellow brothers and sisters i can do it i'm conscious that i have limits everything i want to do as help i can't achieve it now with my team but when someone is determined to do something even god helps him that's the reason why we are not exhausted in uganda their laws there permit the persecution and abuse of homosexuals from my point of view given that i've spent a couple weeks in the congo in rwanda and in burundi i'd say that homosexuality is not very accepted and dealt with well in rwanda in burundi and in the congo how does it happen that you socrates find it in your heart to accept these people who are not accepted by others I'm sure that causes you lots of problems and complicates your life. My motivation is that when I was in my second year at university, the big percentage of the amount of money I was receiving was coming from a homosexual man. Unfortunately, he's he's dead. He supported me without knowing my origin. For me what I know, I am not qualified to judge anyone because I know there is a God that is above all of us. He is the one to judge. So who am I to judge others? Who am I to judge the choice of others? Sometimes I ask myself questions being homosexual or like 
They usually tell us in our community that homosexuals are lost people. I ask myself question, does being homosexual make you sinner? Someone cannot be homosexual and do horrible things that supports being homosexual. We have a community that is focused on bad judgment. Why a negative judgment? People get angry by the fact of not loving someone just because of small facts. There have been rebellions, death of millions of people, more than 10 millions in Eastern Congo. Having hatred for homosexual is such an important thing. Or ending war. I say sometimes people forget important things and focus on unnecessary issues. I know that God is love and all of us have been made in the image of God. Whether you be homosexual or not, we all have the image of God. I'm called to love you. Not seeing things in the same angle will not push me to judge someone. Everyone has his own choice and I'm called to respect that. If someone doesn't accept my choice, will I feel bad because of that? No. Our diversity is what makes this world beautiful, the harmony of this world. If we were all whites, how could white people know that there are black people? Impossible. If all of us were rich, how could someone know about the poor? So I accept the difference of others, and this can be the source of a conflict for me. We lost so many supports locally due to the fact that we accepted and received our brothers and sisters who are LGBTQ. I noticed that while talking about these things, you did not include a lot of biblical quotes. For example, you could have quoted from the Bible about the woman taken in adultery when Jesus says that the person without sin could cast the first stone to stone her. You certainly know that passage. And as to who can get into heaven, Jesus doesn't talk about homosexuals being kept out of heaven. Jesus says that it's super hard for a rich man to get into heaven. So you could have quoted that kind of passage, which would have been typical of many of the evangelical Christian Quakers from your area of Africa. But you approach it otherwise when talking about this. Yes, the scripture you mentioned is about the woman who was caught in adultery, right? I don't know what would happen during that time. When Jesus asked them the question, I think each one of them did an introspection. That the reason why I said I don't like to judge anyone. I am not God. I have no power to judge anyone. There is a scripture in the Bible that says, If someone thinks of doing something good and doesn't do it, he or she is sinning. For me also, if I like and want to do something good for someone, for example, homosexual, and I don't do it, I am sinning. Because even that homosexual is made in the image of God. The first thing for me is that you are made in the image of God. And God is love. There is love in me. There is love in you. Because we are images of God. So who will tell me to not love someone made in the image of God? It's impossible. I really believe, Socrates, that God blesses you in your work there. Really challenging work especially with the societal norms you're dealing with. I think it takes real courage to do this, and I think it's much less difficult to do similar work here in the U.S. with our different attitudes. I wanted to ask you about a couple of other things. Something like six months ago or so, we had a visit here in Wisconsin from Parfait and Tuhuba. 
I think you know her. And among the things she talked about were the problems with violence against women. I think I saw it on your website that there was violence against women in around 90% of families in your area of Africa. What can be done in the face of such widespread violence, especially since it's far too often justified using biblical or other sources? Way too often, people, men, misuse and abuse the Bible against women. What can be done in the face of that? I'm just going to explain violence in three aspects. Cultural violence, structural violence, and natural violence. I'll start with structural violence. It's the kind of violence that gives power to certain group of people. The power to do whatever they are pleased with due to the structure. This is the source of violence and this is what makes women suffer or being victims of violence and this is what makes women suffer. Why? Because many structures like Burundian, Congolese or African in general don't give power to women because their structures don't give power to women on the same level like men. Let me give you an example from my tribe in Congo. There is a structure that doesn't give a woman the right to inherit. This made men not consider or to give value to their daughter's children. They say, if my wife has, hasn't yet given me a boy, I'm not a man enough. My wife has to give birth to a boy. Because having female children and without a boy, I'm nothing. When we have five female kids and their father passed on, those kids will receive nothing of the mother because females can't inherit. The belongings of the late husband will all belong to the family of the late husband. It went to the extent that even women have believed that they are limited in some area. If you ask them, in what are you limited? They say, we don't know, but we know that we are limited. This is the fact that resulted in so many girls not attending schools. There is a campaign of UNICEF. I don't recall when it was launched in my country. The campaign was titled All Children at School. Why all kids at school? Because most of the families were giving privileges to boys, not girls. They believe that a woman's place in the society is in the kitchen. Because of all that, women will not participate in the management of the country. So they will not be women in decision-making. Men will be the one deciding even what concerns women. With civilization, some families accept to take girls to school, but before it was like that, women were underestimated by the society and by themselves. Now, cultural violence, I believe all Congolese cultures violate women. Almost all. Why a woman can't take speech in front of men? It's complicated. And when your wife speaks up in front of men, the day when you will be with other men out there, they will tell you that you don't educate well your wife. You are not a man enough. Men have to be violent towards their wives. They have the last say in the house. A man is above a woman. This, I think, it is due to the fact that women are the ones who pay the dowry to the family of the woman. They feel like they own this woman because of the money of the dowry, which is different 
with where you come from. It's even something very difficult nowadays because many young boys don't marry because they don't have money for the dowry. It has become like buying a woman. The family of the, the woman you want to marry will do some maths and count every penny they spend to this daughter of theirs. And then they tell you how much you will have to bring for dowry. It's like, I buy this woman, and this gives most of men to feel like they have the right to do anything they want because this is their property. Natural violence. Many African women believe that they are limited. I don't know why, but I think it comes from our family and also how they have been raised as girls. They have been told that a man is the head of the family. With all this, you will understand why a woman is victim of violence. Oh, so many places that violence comes from. But where did you get your ideas? Like that women are equal, whereas the culture around you would most often tell you that women are not equal to men. Clearly, you have different ideas and values when it comes to homosexuality and male-female equality. Where does that come from? Thanks for the question. Sometimes I love to go beyond myself to understand other things. A woman gives the life. All presidents that have led the nations around the globe came from women. A kid spends more time with the mother, more than the father. The wisdom that men have, they got from their mother because they are the ones that they spend more time together. Let me give you an example that will make you understand more. My father could left the house in the morning and came back late in the evening. We were spending much time with our mother. Everything was being done with my mother. If someone says a woman is not wise or intelligent, how will I accept that? How will I accept that? Everything I am is because of my mother. It's a bit hard to make others understand that because of the culture. But that's my belief. Wisdom, intelligence, and so on come from a mother, come from a woman. In a home, if the mother is not educated, everyone else will not be educated. Whatever the woman of the house is will affect everyone in the house. I mean kids. They will follow the example of their mother. For my conclusion, a woman is a very important person in the society and in its development and success. I believe you're right. We've only got a few minutes left, but I want to remind listeners that we're speaking with Sokrat Imani Matabaro, the leader of the organization Voice of Hope Burundi. You'll find a link to them on northernspiritradio.org so you can follow their work and hopefully support them their work with orphans, widows, and others, including LGBTQ folks, all kinds of folks who need help and healing. This is a kind of work performed by Voice of Hope Burundi and Socrates. You mentioned, Socrates, that you started out by doing singing and dancing together, bringing youth together in that kind of creativity and music. Do you still do that kind of song with the young women and men, the boys and girls that you've worked with? Yes, yes. I will send you our last song. You can find the link uh, on our YouTube channel. The songs are in Swahili, but there are subtitles so that everyone can understand the songs. In fact, I think we'll go out with that, or at least a portion of that. 
It's online, available with video and subtitles, and I have the link on northernspiritradio.org. I know, Socrates, that this is hard, demanding work, work that requires all of your resources and beyond them. And I do hope that folks will support you through the voice of Hope Burundi. Follow the link on northernspiritradio.org to get to a place where you can help them out, folks, in Burundi and also in the DRC, Congo and in Rwanda. Your name is well-chosen, Socrates, a, a deep thinker, and Imani, which is faith in English, and Matabaro. You're truly doing blessed work, and I greatly appreciate both your work and your taking time to be with me here today for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. If we have any other question, we'll be glad to answer them. Again, come to northernspiritradio.org, and you'll find the links to Voice of Hope Burundi. We'll connect you up with them, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, 